Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com/fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Crop rotation, it's not just for farmers. Backyard gardeners can improve their food and flower production while improving their soil at the same time simply by moving plant families from bed to bed each season. College horticulture professor retired Debbie Flower has the lowdown on the advantages of crop rotation. If your clay soil has you worried that it's not very good for a garden, well, worry no more. Soil specialist Steve Zion says there's a lot of benefits to gardening with clay soil, and he has tips for improving it as well. It's all on episode 114 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Sometimes when it comes to garden problems, one thing that helps a lot to keep them from spreading is crop rotation. We've talked about this a lot on the program. And what exactly is crop rotation? For the answer to that, we bring in retired college horticultural professor Debbie Flower, who has probably discussed this with one or two classes in her time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I recall you saying that when the crop rotation lecture starts, their eyes glaze over. <laughs> it's uh boy, I hope not. I hope that it's used. We talk about it not just in the vegetable garden, but also in the landscape when planning a landscape, because it. Uh, so what it is, is, is for the vegetable garden is planting something different in this each spot each year. So one year you plant tomatoes there and then the next year you're going to plant something different, maybe um, uh, cabbage, or that would not be a summer crop, but uh, mustards, that's spring. <laughs> or maybe you leave it blank, uh, but you don't plant tomato or a tomato relative in that same spot the next year. And the reason we do it is that plants in the same family, so crop rotation is done at the family level, plants in the same family share uh insect and disease problems. So if you get a tomato one year and you plant a tomato the next year in the same location, or a pepper, or an eggplant, because they are all in the same family. Or a potato. Or a potato, yeah. yes. If you plant them in the same location the next year, maybe you'll do okay. But then maybe the third year, the disease pressure has built up enough, or your tomato hornworms population has built up and they... They spend their winters in the soil, and so you plant a plant in the same family, they'll come out and start eating the plant. Whereas if you rotate it to something outside, let's say a melon, uh, outside the, it's called the Solanaceae family. So the Solanaceae family has tomatoes, potatoes, peppers, and eggplant, as well as tobacco, which is a fun crop to grow as well. It's pretty, I think. If you plant any of those things, uh, you you want to not plant them the next year. They're in the they're all in one family, so you want to move them somewhere else. So maybe we're going to move to the family that the cucurbits, which includes cucumbers and melons and uh, squash, and plant one of those in that spot instead. If when the tomato hornworm comes out in spring and there's a squash there, it's not going to do anything. It does not attack 
the cucurbits, it only attacks the uh, solanaceae. So we're moving our plants around the garden so that the insects and diseases that may be present at that one location don't attack the plant from a different family. Probably ideally, it's nice to have six distinct garden planting areas because that this makes the garden rotation plan, the crop rotation plan a, a lot easier. There is we'll have a link to today's show at the uh, Farmer Fred rant, and it'll be called the crop rotation plan for the home garden. So basically, let's say you have six beds in this perfect world you live in. One bed's going to be blank. But actually, blank isn't blank because you could put a cover crop in there. You could put oak leaves on there. You could just put compost on there. You're basically giving that plant the season off to feed the soil. That bed. Yeah, that bed, that one bed. So that's so bed wind. Bed one would be the sleeping bed, mm-hmm. if, if you will. Then the next bed over would have your solanaceae, the uh, tomatoes, the peppers, the eggplants, the potatoes. Bed three onions, garlic, beets, carrots. Which family is that? I think that's a cup. The alliums would be, uh, that's their uh, genus, not their family. Right. Yeah. The amaryldaceae, <laughs> I, I think, is uh, the term for that, for the chives, garlic, leeks, and onions. The fourth bed are the legume-fixing crops like peas and beans. Mm-hmm. Legume-fixing meaning that they are able to collect uh, nitrogen from the atmosphere and put it into their nodules on their roots which are, if you leave those roots, they will release that nitrogen for the next crop. There's a little trick to that. When you talk about nitrogen-fixing crops is you cannot allow those plants to flower because then it's taking that nitrogen that it just stored and using it to produce flowers and seed. Right. So that's sad, but... Well, some of those don't... uh, we don't want them to flower. Some of them we do. If we want to get the crop, we yeah. want to get the beans. <laughs> or peas. We've got to let them flower. Yeah. But uh, then again, in that uh, bed four, you, you could plant something that uh, works both as a cover crop and as something you could eat, like fava beans, mm-hmm. for example, if you, if you want to do a, a cover crop. So, yeah, in bed five, you've got the you know what I mean. Thank you. Yes, the uh, cucumbers, muskmelons, pumpkins, squash, watermelons, which are, I would think, heavy nitrogen feeders. Yes, they are heavy nitrogen yeah. feeders. And then you've got the uh, a lot of the winter crops, the cool season crops in bed six. You've got the cabbage, the lettuce, the spinach, the radishes, the turnips, the broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kale, cauliflower, mustard. And when that's done, that would become... I would think the squash pumpkin bed because they, they, they're not heavy nitrogen feeders, those cool season crops. Right. So that all sounds confusing, maybe. So go to Fred's uh, crop rotation rant and you'll see an image of a pie garden, a round garden with, that's cut into six parts and it suggests what crop to put in each of the six parts. Then the following year, you rotate that circle. What was bed one becomes bed six, what was bed two becomes bed one, etc. And the year after that, you rotate it again. We aren't all so blessed. I am not to have that much garden space, six places, but I will. So I do pay attention to where my tomatoes are in particular, my solanaceae crops, uh, and where my squashes were, and I will move things around. Again, uh, Fred has often talked about keeping records. 
And writing it down is a good thing to do. So this year I planted the tomatoes in this bed and I planted the squash over here and I planted the beans over here. And then I just can look at that next year and do a rotation. If I can avoid planting the same thing in the same spot for uh, the next year, that's great. If I can do it a third year, that's even better. But And then sometimes I actually revert to pots. If I don't, I've run out of space, I grew a lot of one thing, let's say tomatoes one year, or I had tomatoes, eggplants, and peppers all over the place, then I will revert to pots and put some stuff in pots, the tomatoes, the eggplants, the peppers, large pots, uh, nice container media, irrigation, regular irrigation, and they'll do well. And But that gets them out of the ground for one year and allows any of those pests that are in the ground there to, to die off because they don't have their food supply. I would think being thrifty with uh, potting soil might work against you if you're planting tomatoes over and over in pots. Mm -hmm. So I, I would imagine you'd want to use fresh soil every time. Mm -hmm. Either fresh soil or soil that came out of a pot and sat for a while, a pot of something else and sat for a while. Would that uh, kill off uh, those disease-causing uh, organisms like verticillium? Well, the fungus and bacteria are difficult to kill off. You'd have to solarize them or steam treat the, the media. Can you do that in the oven? <laughs> you can, but it stinks and it's <laughs> yes. a slow process. <laughs> what I noticed, one thing about the uh, crop rotation garden, if you will, that if, if you imagine your garden as a pizza pie, that directly opposite in the six slices of garden pizza, the 12 o'clock and six o'clock positions, the are both heavy nitrogen feeders, uh, the tomato, pepper, okra, potato, eggplant at 12 o'clock, and then squash, pumpkins, melons, cucumbers, corn at six o'clock. And if you're rotating it clockwise, replacing the tomatoes, peppers, etc., would be the cover crop or the composted uh, slice. Replacing the corn, cucumbers, squash, and melons are peas and beans, which is a uh, nitrogen-fixing crop. Yes, and even though they do need to flower and they do use some of that nitrogen they fix, there typically is some nitrogen in their roots uh, left over at the end of the crop. And so if you leave their roots, then you've, you've got nitrogen for the other plants to feed off of. Yeah, so you're basically surrounding the heavy feeders with lighter feeders or replenishers, if you yes. will. So uh, if you go to the crop rotation plan for the home garden at the Farmer Fred Rant, it makes it much easier to understand than trying to figure this out in a podcast. But there are reasons why each uh, triangle on that has a certain plant in it. Right. Exactly. Yeah, You can't, unfortunately, mix up your plants uh, without uh, spreading the disease to every... By the way, that brings up another good point, too, is... It... When you go out to the garden, you've got your trowel and you're digging in every bed. Well, if you happen to be digging in a bed where you know you have a disease issue like verticillium mm. or fusarium, don't re don't forget to clean off that tool before you go to the next bed. Yeah, they exist in the soil and uh, hopefully you don't have them. If you do, then it, you have to pay attention and, and use verticillium or fusarium uh, uh, resistant plants or uh grow them so that, that that disease doesn't take over, but you can move it from place to place if you use a dirty tool and in a new place. So know your families. Know your family. Yeah. Know your plant families. Yes, exactly. And you can, uh, at the Farmer Fred Rant, that crop rotation plan uh, delineates that so you know uh, uh, who who's related to who and who you want to move together. There are some other families, too, 
that are heavy feeders that are more permanent, and you don't really have to worry about those, uh, like asparagus mm-hmm. or artichokes, if, mm-hmm. you, if you can grow artichokes where you live. And those are going to get their own bed for 15, 20 years. Right, and you're going to tend them differently. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and like you say, it's always a good idea to have some big pots on hand, too, to uh, yes, and a get you through. Yes, a few bags of media, yep. Yep, and uh, clean your tools. Crop rotation, it's done to avoid buildup of pests, both diseases and insects. So uh, get in the habit of, of rotating your crops. Debbie Flower, thanks for your help on this. Always a pleasure. You're welcome. We're glad to have SmartPots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. SmartPots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. SmartPots are proudly made 100% in the USA. I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this program. My criteria, though, is, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, a product I would buy again. And SmartPots clicks all those boxes. They're durable. They're reusable. SmartPots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit SmartPots.com Fred. It's SmartPots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to SmartPots.com Fred for more info and that special Farmer Fred discount on your next SmartPot purchase. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. No matter where you live, you might be dealing with clay soil. Many gardeners don't like clay soil because it's too hard to dig or maybe it's always wet. Uh, Well, actually, clay soil does have some advantages and clay soil can be modified. We're talking with Steve Zion, soil pedologist for over four decades. And Steve, you've heard it. I've heard it over the years. People think they have a poor garden because they have clay soil, when in reality, it could be just poor drainage. I love clay soils. Clay soils have have numerous beneficial features to them. The problem is they have not been managed properly. Clay soils don't need to be irrigated as frequently, so they don't need as much water. They will hold water for a much longer time so that your plants will be less likely to have problems with drought. Uh, You need to irrigate less frequently, although when you irrigate, you do have to apply it much more slowly than you do, uh, say, a loam soil or a sandy soil. Uh, the water will will move down and actually spread out farther. If you're using, for example, a drip irrigation system, you don't need to have as many lines and you can have more space between your emitters in a clay soil than a, a sandier soil or a loam soil. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, let's talk a little it, bit about that water footprint, if you will. And let's use, for an example, a drip irrigation system at a dripper. And as that water drips into the soil, if you have clay soil, that footprint could be 12 to 18 inches wide, whereas with sandier soils, it, it could be 10 inches or less. Probably less. Yes. <laughs> the The issue is that you know, when you're applying it in a sandy soil, it'll move straight down pretty much very, very rapidly. And so you can apply the water fairly rapidly and it won't run off and it'll get down to that depth, but it won't spread out. So you need to put your drip lines closer together. In a clay soil, the the, the pore space 
The size of the pores is much smaller. Water does not move through clay soils via gravity. It moves through by what's called capillary action. The water actually has to be sucked into and through the soil. And so it moves much more slowly. But it will also, because it's moving you know, by suction, if you will, uh, it's going to be sucked to the sides. And so it's going to spread out much, much farther. But don't you want water to go deeper? So how can you make clay soils absorb the water so it goes deeper? Just apply it for a longer period of time. It's very, very easy. I've heard numerous people say you can't use drip irrigation systems because you can't get the water down deep enough. And that simply is not true. You just have to leave them on for a longer period of time. And really the best way to to test how far that water is is going down and how far out it's going for that matter is to use what's called a soil probe. Uh, it's basically like a hollow tube that has a T on the top and you push it on the ground and you pull it out and there's one side that's open that you can see the soil that you pull out and you'll be able to see whether that soil is moist or dry. And so what I tell people to do is irrigate half the amount of time they normally do Wait an hour so that gravity is going to pull down the water as far as it's going to go. And gravity does have a little bit of effect or can have a little bit of effect in a clay soil, especially if it's a healthy clay soil. And then after an hour, you put the, the soil probe back into the soil, pull it out, and you'll see how far down that water has gone. And if you if it's gone down six inches and you want it to go down a foot, you've got to water twice as long. It's just a matter of, of realizing with a drip system to get the water down deep, you have to write, let it run for a much longer period of time. One of the problems of drainage in clay soil is underneath that clay soil, which may only be 8, 10, 12 inches thick, is underneath that there could be some layers of hard pan, which are going to inhibit the flow of water. And I think that may be a case that a lot of people are encountering when they're trying to work with clay soil. Yeah, that can be a real problem. If the if the clay hard pan is you know relatively shallow where you can get a drill basically and drill through it. Um, a lot of times you can go to your cooperative extension office or your uh, agricultural commissioner's office and ask for a soil map. Um, there's also websites that give you soil maps, but but some of the newer ones, uh, if you live in an urban area, are not quite as accurate because they can't get in there to sample the areas because it's somebody's backyard. But they will, in many cases, give you an indication of the depth of the hard pan if you have one and how thick it is. And if you can get a drill bit to go down and and if it's not very thick, in many cases it's not, you can just basically drill through it and then you want to take a, a mixture of sand and organic matter, compost, and fill that hole with the sand and good quality compost or earthworm castings. That will help to get that stuff uh, to drain better. And then you're also going to get biology down there as well, because uh, a good quality compost has a lot of soil biology that will more rapidly cause the hard pan to, to break up, if you will. Um, another thing you can do is there are some cover crops or green manures that are very, very deep rooted 
and capable of, you know, basically, and often uh, in many cases, breaking through clay hardpan. And if you live out in the country, uh, always keep the phone number handy of the guy that's got a tractor mounted or Jeep mounted soil auger that yeah. uh, can easily uh, get down 36 inches with, with no problem. Uh, when I lived in the country, that, that that guy was very important in my life to drilling those holes to get through uh, those layers of hard pan. So if you want to improve clay soil, Steve, what would be a good way to make sure to help that water go even deeper? Well, if you've got a, a clay hard pan and that that's your issue, uh, one technique is to basically drill a hole roughly an inch, inch and a half in diameter through that hard pan. And then you insert into that hard pan quality compost and sand roughly uh, 70% compost and 30% sand into that hole. And that will allow water to move down through that hard pan. And you've got to take that mix of compost and sand all the way to the soil surface. And um, that's the, that because you need to get that water into that mix of compost and sand at the soil surface. If you put it below the soil surface, uh, it's not going to get into that column very well. The soil will have to be saturated in order for the water to move into that column. So, and so we're only talking about an, an inch, inch and a half in diameter and, you know, do them a couple feet apart and you will be then getting the soil biology through that hard pan and in that area of that hard pan and they can start breaking up that hard pan. And then you can also start growing crops that will have uh, deep tap roots that will go through those holes and then as they grow they will fracture the hard pan and this is this is you know and here we're talking about amending and or we're really talking about breaking up uh the hard pan we are not talking about improving uh drainage if you will to your clay soil in order to do that what you want to do is surface apply good quality compost and earthworm castings and with rain and irrigation and some soil biology that might be native to the to the soil to your clay soil and certainly the soil biology that is in the compost and the earthworm castings will start penetrating into that clay soil and creating soil structure, creating different sized pore spaces, which will then improve the drainage, improve the ability of you to uh, dig in your soil to plant and transplant and uh, fertilize and all of those good things. So just apply it to the soil surface. Realize that every time you cultivate the soil, you dig in the soil, you you rototill the soil, you're destroying not only soil biology, that helps your plants obtain nutrients, water, and fight off pests, but it destroys the soil structure, the different sized pore spaces that you have, which is so critical in a clay soil. Your typical clay soil only has small pore spaces, and that's why the water and roots have a hard time moving through it. You need those large pore spaces created by the soil biology. You have heard and I have heard over the years uh, some interesting ways that people have dealt with clay soil, especially when it comes to irrigating trees or shrubs. 
I once uh, visited a gardener who had all these PVC pipes sticking out of his soil. And he explained to me that it was to deep water his trees. And these uh, one inch PVC pipes would surround the tree. There were probably eight or 12 of them around each tree that went down three feet. And he was basically going out there every day, putting his garden hose in each of those pipes and filling those pipes with water. Is that going to work? No. <laughs> the the issue is if he's doing it every day, he's basically saturating that soil in the vicinity of those clay pipes or or, or PVC pipes. Uh, our roots, our plant roots, and all the soil biology need oxygen as much as they need water. And so if he's doing that every day, he is eliminating the oxygen. The only kind of critters that are going to live in that area are the kinds of critters that rot plant roots. Uh, the other issue is if he doesn't have enough of those pipes, the soil probably between those pipes is bone dry. And so then you get a very poorly spread root system. And so it makes it much more difficult for uh, that tree to obtain nutrients and water because the entire area where the roots should be growing is limited by half or maybe even more. The other story we hear from a lot of gardeners dealing with clay soil is they think they can improve the drainage by rototilling in lots of sand. What does sand do in a clay soil? Well, what do building contractors use sand and clay for? They make concrete or cement. And so I, I always tell gardeners, if you want to garden in con in concrete or cement, go ahead and add sand to your your, your clay soil. Um, I had one person who said, well, I added sand to my clay soil and it works. It worked great. And I said, well, what did you actually add? And he then admitted he added sand and a little bit of sand to a lot of compost. And so it wasn't the sand. It was the 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 amount of compost that he added and the soil biology that's in that. And and like I said before, when you. Cultivate your soil when you do anything that digs into the soil, whether it be rototilling or spading or double digging or however you cultivate the soil, you're destroying the soil structure. You're destroying the, the large pore spaces that are there that are so critical for water movement, uh, root movement, biology movement. You're also destroying half of the, you know, roughly half, if not more, of the soil biology. A lot of the soil biology uh, fungi and mycorrhizal fungi have long roots. And so you're chopping those things up and you're killing them. And so you're ending up with a soil that is dominated by these little tiny one-celled organisms called bacteria. And when you get a soil dominated by bacteria, instead of having a, a, rough, a roughly 50-50 uh, ratio of bacteria to fungi, if you've got a bacterial-dominated soil, the kinds of plants that like to grow there are weeds. Weeds love bacterial-dominated soils. So if you want to grow a lot of weeds in your garden, kill it up. If you want to destroy the soil structure, end up compacting your soil, making it that much harder till the soil if you want to improve the quality of your, your your clay soil start adding compost and worm castings to the soil surface clay soil it it it's a, it can be your friend if you learn to work with it right uh, steve zion has provided us with a lot of tips to do that i'll throw in one of my own tips if you have clay soil get a spading fork it's much easier to dig with a spading fork than it is with a shovel into clay soil thank you 
Or a broad fork. A broad fork. Yes. How, bro- how broad is a broad fork? My guess is about three feet long and about an inch wide, and it has tines just along that one row, and the tines are, are, are fairly long, and you basically just shove it into the ground, and it has long handles, and you just basically, you put your foot on the crossbar, and you grab those long handles, and you move forward and back, forward and back, and you're just basically fract- trying to fracture that clay soil. Hmm. Okay. And then you can put your your compost on the uh, soil surface, your earthworm castings. There you go. Lots of advice from Steve Zion, soil pedologist, also unofficially Sacramento's organic advocate, as you might be able to tell. And we've got some good advice there on working with clay soil. Steve Zion, thanks so much for your help. It's been fun as always, Fred. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday and is brought to you by Smart Pots. It's available just about anywhere, and that includes Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And for Northern California gardeners, it's the Green Acres Garden Podcast with Farmer Fred. It's available also wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. And thanks for listening.